After a traumatic year, such as the one that we have all been through, when you are a survivor, and you know, I'm a survivor of 9-11, but we're all survivors of 2020. And the trauma, the lingering trauma, is something that just does not go away, right? So many years from now, we'll be still talking about this. And it's how we take those steps, you know, how community can come around our brokenness and, and to honor each other's fractures and to tenderly be in a place where reconciliation and forgiveness and, and mending can take place. Hi there, and welcome back to Sacred Ordinary Days with Jen Giles Kemper. I am so thrilled to be back with you after a brief hiatus. We loved sharing our Advent episodes with you and kept recording. So we have quite a few still to share and lots more being recorded very shortly. I'm grateful to our producer and liturgist, Kayla Craig, for creating six whole weeks of prayer for you. Our team went through quite a few changes in the time between launching the podcast and now we went from nine to two and a half. And now recently Kayla has been able to move and is now with us full time. So we're now at three, but we were feeling some pain and really felt a call to prayer and sensed much of that from you as well. We are now at the one year anniversary of when the beginning of the pandemic set in for most of us. And it is hard. We are tired. We are weary. We have carried so much this year. Obviously, a gross understatement. But our prayers together for those six weeks were such a buoy to my spirit. I'm grateful to Kayla for writing them and for sharing them with us and for recording them here to share with you on the podcast. I'm grateful too to jump back into these shows with Makoto Fujimura. Mako has been a gift in my life for a number of years, though I had never spoken with him until this conversation. His art, his thinking and writing, and the ways that he has shared those through speaking have really been transformative for the way that I perceive what it means to create art, what it means to pour out of the abundance of the Holy Spirit, and who is an artist. In Mako's latest book, Art and Faith, A Theology of Making, He doesn't say it exactly like this. His words are far too poetic, but he makes the stand that everyone is an artist, that in the ways that each of us pour out through the Holy Spirit in generosity, that we are connecting with the abundance of God within us and sharing it with others. He also talks about the necessity of that very pouring out. We talk about people who consider themselves to be fine artists or studio artists, certainly. But we also talk about all the rest of us, and I certainly fall squarely within the all the rest of us category. (laughs) I'm creative, but I am not at all artistic. (laughs) And yet, through Mako's book, Culture Care, and now his latest book, Art and Faith, A Theology of Making, I have come to see very much that the way I live my life, the way I go about my work, the way I craft my relationships, the way I pray, that all of those are acts of art. I'll just say this. We are so intentional about the types of books that we carry in our shop. We hope to only carry books that you can read many times over many seasons of your life and always find gold. Mako's two books are those. And in fact, Kayla and I were talking right before we started recording again, and she said that she thinks she could read this book every single year and find something new and beautiful to meet her where she is. I completely agree. So we have both of his books in our shop. I hope that you will check them out. And I hope very much that this conversation is a taste of the goodness and beauty in Mako's life and work and writing. I cannot wait for you to hear Here's a teaser though. When we make, we invite the abundance of God's world into the reality of scarcity all around us. He also says, I understand now what I did not understand as a child, that every time I created and felt that charge, I was experiencing the Holy Spirit. 
I'm so grateful, Mako, for your willingness to have a conversation with me. Now, I hope you will join us at the table. So Mako, I have been familiar with your work for a long time Mm -hmm. and have been to talks that you have given and have Mm. really enjoyed your art from a distance. I've not seen it in person yet and and have done quite a bit of reading, but I'm I'm grateful for the work that you're doing in the world. And I'm really excited for a chance to get to know each other a bit perhaps today and to have a conversation that we can share. So thanks for being with us. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. So in Culture Care, mm-hmm. of course, you've written a number of books, but in Culture Care, you use this really beautiful word that I have often used for creativity as mm-hmm. well. And you talk about mm-hmm. it as being generative mm-hmm. yes. and even share that it is a word that has been used generationally in your own family. I wonder if you might right. just tell yeah. us about what, <laughs> what generative means and, and what role it plays in your life. Yeah. And when I was lecturing on trying to advocate for the arts um, and, and culture care was written to Christian audience, but I, I do not um, go into theological background. And that's what I do in my new book, uh, Theology mm-hmm. of Making. It's, um, theology of Making is the theology undergirding culture care. But um, when I began to explain to a wider audience, you know, outside of the church, um, why this is important to care for culture rather than, let's say, a typical culture wars stance, um, right. which assumes a scarcity environment and you have to protect your turf ideologically um, and you have to win at all costs. Uh, you know, and then I understand the need for that. And I, I think sometimes there is, um, uh, you know, there, there is time of war and there's time of mm. peace, you know. Yeah. But, but in general terms, we, I think we lost track of what, it, what culture can provide. And, and to me, culture assumes, as an artist, uh, this abundance uh, behind it. Uh, whether you believe that from a biblical standpoint or not, um, I have always found that artists, you know, definitely struggle in the scarcity model, uh, kind of a Darwinian model of survival of the fittest. Yeah. But but they're creating something to transcend that, um, and so there's a, an assumption of abundance behind every artist's work. And mm-hmm. so when I try to describe that to people, you know, these, these artists are doing their work. They don't get paid a lot of times well, but they're being, you know, faithfully spending hours and hours to master their craft and, and to show forth something in the world that is um, worthy of our attention and worthy of certainly advocating for. I began to use the word generative uh, naturally, and I began to lecture on what that means. I talk about it in my culture care book as, you know, three entry points into caring for your culture is uh, first looking at every moment as a genesis moment, you know, uh, which artists are good at. Then second G is generational. Think about your work as connected to generations past and generations you know, to come. And the third third G, actually, I flipped the uh, second and third, but the third G would be uh, generosity, which I speak to artists a lot because they, you know, they have been taught to fight this battle. And yet their hearts are often geared toward compassion and mercy. Mm-hmm. And so when I kind of get at the soul of a person, you know, spending time with them, they, they often say that I don't know why I'm this way, or, you know, I, I struggle with being, uh, having to do this, even, even though artists are depicted in the world as this ego maniacs, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> who care only about expression, self-expression, but I don't find that to be generally true. Uh, there are people out there who, who fit that mold, but, you know, they, they're not the norm for me. And so, so generativity came out of that, and and I, I would say, you know, what a way to test if we can be 
generous to see, think of ourselves as, you know, as in any setback as a opportunity or things like that. You know, artists can teach us, right? I have been uh, lecturing on this. We used to run conferences in New York City, and I believe the title of one of the conferences that we put on was called Generative Culture or something like that. Yeah. And, and my father, who was alive at the time, and he, he came to the conference, I think it was one of the last times he could come to one of my, you know, organized events that uh, right. I was doing at the time in New York City. And he said, you know, so what are you going to talk about? And I said, well, Dad, I'm going to talk about generativity and what that means for culture. And he said, well, that's interesting because that was my thesis, you know, <laughs> my postdoc work with Noam Chomsky at MIT. Okay. And I'm like, of course I knew that, right? I knew that right. was his work. And I, I've, I've even read his paper and, and I had completely forgotten that this word comes from him, you know. And, and so I, I was like, Oh man, you know, uh, I, I, not, not only I, I had to explain this, you know, why I came to this term rather intuitively talking about artists, but you know, I, I just realized once again that you know this generational influence that was hovering behind everything that I think about was was my father's work, and you know, he is talking about generative language, which. Noam Chomsky began to talk about as, as a way to find universal mechanism for language acquisition. But I could see how that assumption of even language itself based on some kind of a universal connection leading to this idea that you can still communicate despite the gaps and scarcity realities. And language is built to be expansive hmm. and generative rather than constrictive and limited, uh, you know, and, and very much narrowing down, you know, it, it's, it's both and, but, but language can bridge that gap between what is typically a gap between human beings, gap between us and culture, but, but also between us and God, you know, that, that language of prayer language of communicating hope. These things are very much at the heart of generativity. So when we unpack what culture care means to an everyday person, a, a person who may not be an artist, and I argue in my new book that actually everybody is an artist, uh, you know, artist, artist of the kingdom, artist of whatever they're doing, whether it be mothering or, you know, whether it be caring for people at the hospital, whether that, that, that be mundane or extraordinary, that creating something into the world and, some, and we have the capacity to create something new into the world. And yes. so the word generativity taps into that potential as well. What I also love about the use of the word is that it does so so naturally come out of and tie back to generosity. It's an assumption yeah. of mm-hmm. of generosity. It's an assumption of, as you said, abundance, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that it naturally ties the generosity and the abundance around us and within us and within God mm-hmm. to a natural pouring out, as you said, yeah. that in your encounter with many artists that I think I heard you correctly, that rather than many artists just wanting to sort of be wild (laughs) self-expressionists that it really is is more of a sense of pouring out yeah did i hear you correctly yeah and i talk about that in some of my books the idea of art as a gift yes uh, which is one of the first books that i give to artists that i mentor is a book called the gift by lewis hyde Hmm. h-y-h-y-d Lewis Hyde is a poet uh, who wrote this book, I believe, in late 70s, but kind of became an underground bestseller (laughs) (laughs) over the years. And and it taps into something that I think we often don't consider when we talk about the arts and lives of artists, is that when, when we put art in the mode of transaction, which is the mode of marketing and commoditizing it, and which which you know we have to do if we are making a living off of it. But yes. you know, Lewis Hyde argues that if you put your art strictly on commoditizing transactional platform, and and that's that's then what disappears. As soon as you do that, 
is this fundamental essence of art, which is art as a gift. Yes. And all artists is operating, at least initially, you know, as a child, creating something new, something that is to be gifted into the world. And by that virtue, you almost inspired by the process of doing that. And when you commoditize it, what you're doing is you close the loop of hmm. creativity and imagination being used in, in a new way or uh, being, you know, refashioned to communicate something new into the world. And we, we can experience this ourselves as artists and we can see this in celebrity culture. Whenever you put into a transactional commoditized mechanism, you lose your soul. And so the most important thing for an artist is to see what they do, whether it be commoditized or not. You know, it's okay right. to market your work. It's, it's 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 not like against you know capitalism, but but it is it is about creating a hybrid system in which your what you do, even in a business of art, protects the gift that hmm. you were given to you know cultivate and nurture. And if you don't do that, you end up with a shell of, you know, what you began with. The, the, the gift is dishonored and yes. therefore your soul feels like it's being strangled. And, you know, I speak to many artists, musicians, uh, theater person, and they, they all have these experiences of feeling dehumanized, whether it be by success or institution or you know, whatever life is throwing at them. And you can always pin, pinpoint back to the gift idea that art is fundamentally a gift and not a commodity. And so, so many things can come out of that. And so I, I speak about utilitarian pragmatism as one of the dominating operating forces of any institution today, whether it be, you know, business or church or institution, educational institution that it has all kind of fallen back into survival, pragmatism, you know, and and really we Mm. ignore the most fundamental need for human beings to cultivate that essence, which is at at the heart of us is is that gift. And for Christians, you know, this is even doubly important because we have been given the gift of grace. that means that we understand, we should understand more than any other person, or at least be cognizant, that we exist as a gift to the world. And, and without that you know, fundamental reality, everything we do uh, will become transactional, you know, uh, this, this culture warish way of saying, well, I have this yeah. and you can't take it away, so I'm going to fight for, you know, demonize the other side to win. And that, uh, as I write in cultural care, is self-destructive because by demonizing the other side, you're basically poisoning the very grounds that you're standing on. Well, and I think the same is true when you have a purely utilitarian approach to offering your work in the world, offering it as a gift. It builds Mm -hmm. a dam Mm -hmm. instead of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. allowing a stream, right? which means that it also poisons the well of your being able mm-hmm. to be generative yeah. and creative if you don't you know posture yourself in a way that you mm-hmm. are are pouring out you mm-hmm. know i talked with scott erickson recently and he talked about what he mm-hmm. called being haunted yes. or a haunting which is i think mm-hmm. very similar to this idea of having a gift and he said that that for him he'll just get woken up at night or just have this crazy (laughs) idea as he's driving. And it just feels like a haunting where he has to get it out, get the idea out, get the art Mm -hmm. out, get the image out so that Mm -hmm. it doesn't keep haunting him. And while Mm -hmm. I am not a visual artist, I've had very similar experiences where it feels like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit has, has a gift to offer the world. And if it can come through me, great. And if it can't, it still needs to find someone to come through and it will find someone else, which I find Mm -hmm. really comforting (laughs) to know that I am not going to be a Mm -hmm. bottleneck for, you know, Mm -hmm. for the spirit Mm -hmm. of God coming into the world. But it it can also be a tough nudge when you feel like there's some work that is yours to do Mm -hmm. and you want to do it faithfully Mm -hmm. and and also want to honor it. So 
it can be mm-hmm. a both a both and certainly. Well, I'm curious. So mm-hmm. your faith, of course, like like a curiosity about generosity mm-hmm. and generativity is a generational gift. So I'm curious if you would say more about how you how you came to faith. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know this about my forefathers and mothers, but my mother's side, my father was a research scientist and my, my, my mother was an educator. And my mother's side were generations of Christians. Hmm. <laughs> and when I became an elder at Redeemer Presbyterian Church with Tim Keller, you know, I, I told my mom and uh, she said, oh, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. And I said, what do you mean, mom? And she said, well, <laughs> you have like generations of uh, like, like these were Christian leaders in the underground <laughs> church hmm. and late lay church movement and post-war in Japan. And you have a great uncle who is a Presbyterian evangelist. <laughs> and, and I was like, how many <laughs> Presbyterian evangelists are there? Were there in Japan, you know? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I, I didn't know that. I, I, you never told me this, Mom. And, and, and my mom said, well, you never asked, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I came to faith later in life. I, I call my conversion inversion because I, I mm. always felt the presence of God, uh, especially when I painted. Even as a child, I remember painting and and I felt this power go through me and I I Hmm. knew it wasn't mine it was just going through me and I I thought everybody had this experience you know until (laughs) I went to middle school and (laughs) found out that things were quite different you know (laughs) so I I had this connection between especially creativity and making and, and, and the spirit was charged that I, I knew was a gift. Uh, it wasn't anything that I could create, you know, that part. I, I can be, you know, as, as you noted, I can be haunted by these things that I felt I had to work on, that, that it was a kind of a discipline in, in harnessing what I was seeing, what I was hearing, you know, what I was sensing. But I didn't really understand that, uh, you know, the biblical God who is the creator. And I argue in my new book that God is the only true artist <laughs> because hmm. God is the only one that pre-existed creativity and art itself. Hmm. And all art transcends into that realm somehow, whether done by Christians or non-Christians. And and that's the bias built into the universe, and and so I realized this. I I became cognizant of this in my late twenties, and I journeyed through, you know, questioning and various. I I I have to say that my liberal arts education. Uh, I went to a school called Bucknell in uh, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. But, you know, I remember reading literature and studying sciences and, of course, painting. And all those things led to this idea that there is something called love in the universe. You know, mm, <laughs> there's, yeah. there are inklings, you know, that this exists. And, and whether you're a scientist or you're, you're an artist or you're writing papers about Flannery O'Connor or uh, people, <laughs> you know, either wealthy or whoever you're writing about, there, there's something that draws you beyond the pages, uh, you know, draws you out and you're being redirected. Uh, your life is a path that is opening up before you and you have that choice of becoming more conventional about it, you know, the, taking a conventional path or taking a path that nobody's walked and when you're writing or you're doing art or, or when you're doing anything or even a scientist you know you you are embarking on an adventure that only you can go on right so so that that sense of recognizing myself in that journey and then realizing that what the voice that is calling me out is a voice of love there was just this palpable mm-hmm. reality that i felt and this is not a sentimental, just romantic or, you know, erotic love. It, this is this is fundamental to the core of the universe. So so when I read 
writers like Milton or Blake, William Blake, or even Emily Dickinson or, you know, others, I, I really began to sense that, you know, there, there is something more that I haven't figured out. And, and when I read the Bible, I recognized that voice. I recognized that presence, especially in the voice of Jesus, that there is this reality beyond what you are experiencing and creativity and imagination is called into that love, greater love, you know, has no one than this, right? That one lay down his life for his friends. And that reality hit home to me as the fundamentally the mm. most important thing that I will ever discover about my own journey, but about the universe, about everything, that, that it, 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 was, it was the center point that I needed in my life. You write a lot about being co-creators and hearing you talk about your, yes. your faith story. Yeah. I, I wonder if it maybe is something like discovering that the things that you already cared about and it's, that maybe seem to be knit mm. into you or hardwired into you, depending on which metaphor mm. <laughs> resonates, um, yeah. Yeah. that that you right. offering your art and creation, even in, in those early years, you know, that maybe in, in finding a mm. creator was almost mm-hmm. like finding a co-creator that was drawing you forward. Is that yeah. fair? You know, that's, yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. I, I use that word co-creating very carefully because, you know, it's not like we're creating what God right, can right. create, right? Um, we're, we're creatures in this unique relationship with the creator and creator is the one that invited us. To co-create. Yeah, so you say it, it means to be invited to a dance, invited by yes, God's grace right. to be on the stage, right. to step into a journey of new yeah. creation. Yeah, it, it's it's really a love story, right? And and you you are an orphaned, you know, person with nothing, mm. and, and you're invited by a king to this great banquet. You don't know why, right? <laughs> you know, but unless you accept. The invitation you can't experience that right and when people are suspicious of well you know how can you equate what you do with divine creation and and i said i'm not but let me tell you that's the good news this is an incredulous hmm. thing that happens when god flips the table right and here we are we think we can create god or we can create our own gods and you know we can survive this uh, tenuous existence and God is saying, no, 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 that's not how I built you. You know, that this is, this is the, in, in fact, the opposite, living, you know, fighting for your own life and so forth. You know, again, there are times for, for protecting yourself. But what God is saying is that I have created you for world of abundance and the world to, you know, humbly walk with mercy toward the world that resists it, that will even reject it. It's it's to do the opposite of Darwinian survival of fittest, right? To create mercy and create beauty is <laughs> to ignore all the warning signs and, and to say, despite what I see and despite how I feel even, I'm going to create beauty. I'm going to waste my time. Because I, I don't know who's going to see mm-hmm. it, but it's upon God's invitation that I'm, I'm assured that nothing goes to waste. And if I stop and and help somebody who cannot help themselves or who have no way of advancing my cause, that's only because Jesus has taught me that, right? Jesus did that and lived his life that way. And and if that's that's the you know reversal of uh, typical mindset, scarcity mindset, I and I would even argue that this is a reversal of culture wars. Yeah mindset and we we need to accept the path uh, least taken you know we we need we need to go down instead of up we need to humble ourselves to walk to create beauty is to do that so i talk about co-creation that way that it's in it's in fact a discipline of awareness and praise that requires us to serve others to go be able to lower yourself into the into the lives of people who cannot possibly help you know your cause Hmm. but having said that the grandeur of the promise of this into the new creation 
is something that you know we fail to recognize, and I think that's partly because we 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 have lost touch with the gift. We we lost touch with the uh, artistry of what this God of the Bible constantly throughout every page from Genesis to Revelation is filled with this God's promise to invite us, right? Despite our fallenness, despite our brokenness, perhaps through those brokenness, we, you know, God invites us to partake in a new, new, new journey. So it's something that I have, as I read the Bible over and over, that there is something to this that we went missing, mm. <laughs> you know, in, in modernist uh, utilitarian pragmatism, in, in our ways of industrializing everything, commoditizing everything. We lost track of the gift, and that's at the heart of the gospel. You say that art not coming easy to us is a sacred, God-given impulse. I wonder if you might say mm. more. <laughs> yeah, so in this gap of communication, certainly between myself and my neighbor, you know, certainly between myself and God, we tend to try to communicate that. And, and the easiest way for me to understand this is to admit that it's actually impossible <laughs> to communicate, you know, and communicate in the deepest sense to, to bridge that gap completely. And this impossibility is what Jesus presented and vanquished. This impossibility is what, from the other side of eternity, you know, Jesus came to, because of love, transcended all the barriers that we can put up, all the barriers that this reality, this broken universe can put up, and crossed the chasm to reach out to us and embrace us and, and to understand that we're not alone in, in our journey and to uh, give us hope that, you know, every day, every minute counts because Jesus has done that and, and has made alive what was dead in us. So I think as an artist, there's so many times when you don't see the results of what you are wanting to create or what you started out to create. Mm-hmm. and what I found is that the very materials that I use, or if I'm collaborating, that person that I'm collaborating with already has this answer <laughs> to provide some sort of a bridge between my lack of my ability to communicate. And that person is reaching out to me. My materials are speaking to me, reaching out to hmm. me. And, you know, my whole entire experience of being an artist and having my own studio, which is so fortunate, is to be able to listen to that voice of invitation all day (laughs) and and to respond to it by creating work. And by doing that, I found this miraculous journey of an artist that has had these incredible conversations with people who have come to my exhibits and shown, or people who have read my books. And every time, I tell you, every time I am just awestruck because I assume, and I really believe this, that that it is impossible to communicate anything Hmm. (laughs) worthwhile. And yet God has allowed me, right, by His grace, reached out to me first so that I could respond and then I could extend that to others. And so I'm, I'm always astonished when anybody reads my book and anybody, <laughs> you know, is standing in front of my painting for hours and hours. So um, I, I, and I talk to them and the experiences that they've had doing that is just extraordinary. It's not something that I couldn't have planned and something that I always think is, uh, you know, in, in some ways as, as important as me making the work is somebody responding to it. Yeah, I think I think having a gift that you offer, you know, that you offer as the gift that it is, is certainly important. Mm-hmm. But also having someone to receive the work is its own yes. miracle, is its own gift, yes. its its own Absolutely. grace. Yes. And so to have a gift that you are able and willing to offer, and then to also have someone who is receptive and mm-hmm. interested and open to receiving it. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think 
those are some of the big gifts that we give each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to both offer each other our gifts and receive, mm-hmm. receive one another's gifts. Yeah. Yeah. You said to be effective messengers of hope, we must trust our inner voice, our mm-hmm. intuition that speaks into the vast wastelands of our time. Mm-hmm. I wonder how you have come to trust your own inner voice and, mm-hmm. yeah. and if there's a time Perhaps you didn't listen well, and it led you astray. <laughs> That's a great question, and I, I struggle with that every day, right? And sure. It, there's a battle going on every day, but but I do think that years of disciplining myself to trust and to listen, you know, rather than stand over my work and force it to become something, hmm. has caused this at least a direction in my heart towards humbling myself, standing under uh, the work to understand <laughs> rather than overstand. Hmm. And, and that, that has become a practice, not only in my art, but everything that I do. And I'm constantly multiple failures every day. Sure. But, you know, to me, one thing I learned as an artist is that these failures are important because they, they signify something. They point, they're pointers. And and if I pay attention to them lovingly and carefully, they they help me. They're like, you know, arrows that point to the, uh, you know, underground railroad of my soul, you know. Yeah. And I'm reacting a certain way because I'm perhaps fearful or oppressed or you know, feel, feel constrained and I can't seem to fight through those things. And and so I say, well, I have to do what I can today to fight back or whatever. And it becomes a stoic, you know, way of, you know, trying to solve the problem by myself, mm-hmm. you know, through my own limited wisdom, finite means. When all I'm asked to do is to trust, right, and 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 to be able to move forward every every inch by faith, and and to accept the consequences. And if I have done things, you know, upon my foundation of Christ, foundation of my faith, I don't have anything to worry about. But you know, it's it's often that. The struggle to prove yourself or to, you know, to master something, which, you know, I find is, is the opposite, is the more you understand something, the more mysterious it gets, you yes. know, and, and more fascinating. Even the minute things, the same thing that I have been doing to prepare materials, which is like preparing pulverized minerals and this animal hide glue and mixing by hand and so forth. You know, it's a slowing down of a typical way of painting through, you know, buying tubes and then <laughs> squeezing it. But it really helps me to, you know, not only remember that everything takes time and everything meaningful <laughs> takes time, but at the same time, I notice things even today doing exactly the same thing I, I, I would have done 25 years ago it's brand new, you know, there's something new. There's, uh, and limited in, in terms of material, materials and options, but there's always infinitely new ways that the materials can teach me about yeah. the universe. Well, I love, I love, you've already talked about one of your, one of the f- church families that you have belonged mm-hmm. to, and you've talked about mm-hmm. your own, your own family. One of my great, questions for people whose kind of public life mm. I have some respect yeah. for is just about where that hits the road of your real mm. life. And so I wonder if you might yeah. talk about either yeah. in your own family, um, with your, sure. your wife and your yeah. children, yeah. or in yeah. perhaps a, a church that you belong to now or have belonged to in the past, how that has yeah. influenced and been a part of the art that you make and the writing that you yeah. share. Yeah. Well, I have been involved with many different churches and uh, church planting. I've, you know, I've been a leader in in these places. I I belong to an Episcopal church in Princeton now. Out of many years of being being dislocated, let's say, mm. in 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 my own journey and uh, my own understanding and struggling through faith and 
and as well as you know knowing how to put that in the context of church planting and mission mission which i'm very passionate about and and i come to a point and uh, my my history is that you know we as a family lived in ground zero new york city and my children grew up as ground zero children wow. and september 11th uh, coming, now coming up to 20th year has literally reshaped how we view ourselves my relationship with my first wife ended because of trauma and that was the, the you know it happened about four or five years ago but that that remains to be the most traumatic time of my life mm-hmm. and uh, one that still talk about haunting you know you and having to wrestle through you know why did she suddenly leave the marriage when you know we we did everything we can to protect that as you know that was like one of the most important things in my life was our marriage and when that ended that that just began this new journey for me that i didn't expect to be on but nevertheless i'm now grateful for mm. and now i am in a new marriage and i'm i'm grateful for my bride and i being able to journey together into the new creation and and to you know be given new wings <laughs> to fly into that mm. but for both of us it's it's a journey of you know I talk about kintsugi in the book kintsugi is this venerable yeah. tradition of Japan's lacquer and gold mending uh, broken teaware or ceramic bowl uh, in, into from a fractured uh, reality to something that is not only restored but made new and the uh, resulting bowl kintsugi bowl is far more valuable than the original and that's my life um certainly and that's been a very painful journey uh, one that i i thought i would not uh, be able to you know get through because when you're going through it you, you can't see uh, the end of the tunnel you know i say that with also gratitude because when i look back to those days it was my children my own children encouraging me to take those steps and my friends and my fellows and <laughs> who really stepped up to care for me and to you know make sure that i was doing everything that i can to find that new new path and you know when when i look back on those days and i i know right now people are going through such suffering in our time and it's it's you know just because we have vaccination it's it, the or, or what what you know the lifting of curfews and so forth it's only right. going to accentuate the psychological trauma because i know that because i know <laughs> 9/11 i know the path that you know the trauma keeps coming back to haunt uh, you over and over and you you never you never get over that fracture but there's again hope that that can be mended and made made new in new time and i've experienced that as well but i know that you know after a traumatic year such as the one that we have all been through when you are a survivor and you know i'm a survivor of 9/11 but we're all survivors of 2020 and and right, right. The, the trauma the lingering trauma is something that just does not go away right so many years from now we'll be still talking about this and it's how we take those steps you know how community can come around our brokenness and and to honor each other's fractures and to tenderly you know be in a place where reconciliation and forgiveness and and mending can take place and you can't force it so it's not like you can do a program you know church program to do this right <laughs> right no, no 10 steps, steps. But, but you know there's going to be a real need for this and so part of our journey ahead in this new normal is to in a way to recognize the fractures right to to be able to look at each other and say you know 
you who are survivor, you, you've been broken, I have been broken, but we have so much to share and so much to behold. Let's, let's just slow down, you know, let's not get rushed into a nine to five existence and utilitarian, you know, way of us surviving and building up our resumes. But, you know, really take time to honor each other and, and to love each other through our brokenness. And if that can happen, it, 2020 will be a gift. Uh, as hard as that is, hmm. to, that, that will, you know, seen today, we will look back on this time if we can do the due diligence to be faithful in ways that every trauma, you know, traumatized person has to go through to face their realities. You know, I, I had to face ground zero every day to go home. And, and, you know, that's like seared in my mind. But, you know, that that became a turning point for me to to really say, okay, so where is the way that I can understand God's ground zero through this? You know, where's the way that I can be compassionate to those who are going through suffering? And and how do I love my enemies, you know, in in this place called ground zero? And I had to learn to do that. I don't have the answers yet, but, you know, this is something that um, sure. I've been journeying on. It's it's really reflected on my writings now, reflected in, my, in my, uh, the services of my paintings, too. You, you say that as Christians, we ought to be involved in making that the experience mm-hmm. is not to prove God's existence, but <laughs> right. to affirm the source of creativity and imagination, yeah. thereby affirming the center. Mm-hmm. And so I know you say that you don't have an answer. And yet I wonder if it is mm-hmm. in an act of creating, right. if that is part of mm-hmm. a center, if that can be its own Genesis moment. So I'm curious what you would say for those who have been through a traumatic experience, Mm. not, not only 2020, but beyond, but certainly Mm. 2020 as well. Yeah. What would you say to those who are afraid to Mm. generate or create? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How is it an act of faithfulness? Yeah. So the thing about art is that rather than answering questions, it raises more questions yeah (laughs) so so we have to be ready for that you know if you Mm. want a easy answer i i don't know what can give us easy answers today everything is so complicated you know and polarized and maybe that's what we're looking for in culture wars is to try to find certainty where where it doesn't exist you know Mm. and, and and just demand it out of people that are seeing things differently. And we, we, you know, we have to be kind to ourselves because we, we lose so much ourselves in trying to defend our own turf and justifying our own way of doing things. But making seems to loop you out of this hmm. false dichotomy that we create all the time in our lives and how we think about the world and who's right and who's wrong. You know, we we do these uh, kintsugi workshops where I work with a kintsugi master in Japan to create kits that are authentic way of doing kintsugi, but in a safe way. And uh, you know, we oftentimes there's like ten people before the shutdown. We 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 just started experimenting with this, but you know, ten people come into the room, total strangers. And it's usually like three hours, but you know you you're bringing in your broken um, plates or cups or whatever, and you know you spend three hours, oftentimes without any words, you know, hmm. just working together and you know, getting your hands busy, and and then in that space something miraculous happens, and people start to share unexpectedly you know these moments of vulnerability will start to open up and and talk about you know first of all why this cup was broken you know what happened or why did you choose this cup rather than the others you know and in some cases they don't they can't find anything broken right and that in in itself is kind of a message and and so we provide something for them but you know they they tend to come away with this shared experience 
And at the end of the time, you know, people don't know like who you voted for, you know, like it doesn't really matter because you, you really shared in this experience of mending to make new. And that that has to do something to us, right? Because we 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 tend to be in a situation where we have to say, you know, introduce ourselves. This is what I do. This is who I am. You know, this is what, what I stand for. This is and and if you create a space that you don't have to do that, the object <laughs> is completely something else, you know, very simple wow. way of just, you know, using what I call somatic knowledge, yep. which is, you know, hands, body, knowing. And and then I believe, you know, it, it does something to a neuron. So it creates like new pathways or something. Yeah. When you do that and, and you find healing. And trauma counselor was in one of our first sessions and she said, you know, I try so hard in the first six months of my counseling trauma patients to have them accept that this trauma is not going away. Right. Mm. And and that it's real. And that, you know, you are affected by it. Your complete, you know, psyche is affected by it. Um, many people have, you know, want to just let that be the past and, and move away and keep running away. And she said, you know, first six months is, is just my work with them to help them recognize that trauma's in them, that it's not going away. And once they understand that, then the real work can begin. And she said, in the span of three hours, I saw people experiencing that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. And and I was like, oh, in fact, I have an interview. I recorded an interview, video interview with her because I wanted her to articulate that, you know, to our audience. But, but you know, I, I think that's remarkable. And I, I think that's part of what we will certainly need moving forward and making whether it be you know baking a pie or gardening or you know whatever you're making art poetry certainly rewires our brain uh, in a certain way and and i think that's why the you know over rational way of talking about the bible in the church you know in the church you you kind of you don't make anything you know, right? mm-hmm. you listen, you take notes, you try to apply it, you go from your left brain to your right brain, and, and then you try to apply it to your lives, which is, you know, somatic. So you have to go out into the world and actually force the information down to your body. Mm-hmm. But that's not how we are made. We're made the other way. We're made bottom up, right, left. As my uh-huh. friend Kirk Thompson says, you know, she, he, he's a, a psychiatrist and he says, we're, we're, the way we learn is bottom up, right, left. So we, we are born into the world. We, we start to touch. We start to smell, taste. And that's how knowledge comes in first, right? And then it goes into the affective, emotional areas of intuition and then flows up into the rational. But yeah. in, in classrooms and in churches, we do the opposite, right? And, and so that's why it's so hard to apply the gospel into our lives. So what if we flipped the paradigm and started with kintsugi, you know? Yeah. Started, with, started with baking a pie together, started with, you know, even like playing with children <laughs> uh, as a way of beginning a journey into learning. And and let that, you know, kind of poke up into questions, right? That which art is always good at, expansive, generative questions. And then if you want to lock in on something to to understand something rationally, of course, we can do the research and hard work of, you know, dissecting and, and, and categorizing these things. But but at the end of the day, you know, I, I think our lives are so much about you know, receiving information, whether it be from classrooms or news of the day, and then trying to do what we can to somatically bring grace into that. And it's, it's impossible. <laughs> so we have to have an, another way of reversing the flow. And fortunately, as an artist, I'm doing this every day in the studio. Right? right. I'm using my hands. I'm learning grace through my materials. And then so I can apply it. So when 9-11 happened, I had a pathway to go into the studio, even though I couldn't paint, 
I, I was going just simply going through the rhythms. You know, when I was going through my darkness, I don't even remember painting the paintings that I did. <laughs> and yet, I, you know, I had a show at Gonzaga University Junk Museum, and there's this monumental painting, 33 foot long painting, that I don't, <laughs> I literally don't remember painting. <laughs> but there it is. It's one of the, it's one of the best paintings I have done because I'm not there. <laughs> my my ego is completely not there. I was just going through the motions of you know 30 years of practice. And I could show up in the studio despite the fact that I was dead inside and I didn't have any kind of sensory way of moving forward. I didn't have hope. I didn't, you know, I was in despair. But my hands start to move, you know, because it's been trained, you know, so many times to do so. And I was doing work that was, that could only be possible having been fractured and broken and and but you know having really very little hope but the work itself was a hopeful act yeah. <laughs> you know, it was creating hope and so my work started to speak back to me you know and and then I could respond and that, that kind of mechanism is what we need to get through our traumas I love how you say too that your your materials spoke to you. They called out to you, and that you know. Then your your work to use a different phrase than yours. Your work began to minister to you, even though mm-hmm. it came through you. Right, right. Which which has been so much of of my experience mm-hmm. that when we offer things as gift, we can we can also receive them as gift yeah, rather than right. only being the giver. Yeah, and we experienced this uh, multiplication, right? Uh, mm. When you do that, it's, it's amazing because it's actually not one to one; it's one to many. Mm. And and when you're generous and when you're generative, you know, you're giving away. You seem to be giving away something, but it comes back in multi- multiple. You know, just like the fishes on the loaves, it, it just keeps multiplying. Yeah, and and that that I've experienced many times in my life, and I I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And that, that that's fundamentally what what I'm trying to do in my writing, what uh, what I try to do in my art, is is to create that safe space where people can experience that. Hmm. Before we started recording, we were hmm. uh, we were talking about the rhythm of you being in the studio and doing, yes. you know, creating, creating a piece of, of art with, with paint. Right. Mm-hmm. And that as it dries, that then you would move not wood past tense, but that then you do move mm-hmm. more toward writing mm-hmm. and then <laughs> yes. back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. And, and I shared that again, for me, that that has been helpful that while the art that I'm creating is not, is not something of paint, that a rhythm of, creation and and generosity and pouring out and then reflection and tending to Mm. to a deeper well and then you know pouring out and and welling up and pouring out and welling up that rhythm has been really helpful for me I, Mm -hmm. i wonder if if there are any other parts of your rhythm, whether a daily rhythm or weekly rhythm or, mm. or even yearly mm. or certainly mm. beyond, like what are the meaningful parts of your rhythm that have sustained you? Yeah. So I started this Psalms project um, yeah. about two years ago. I was in Israel and I, I just realized, you know, I had done four Holy Gospels illumination work um, of uh, illuminating with five frontispieces, large paintings, and, and then 148 pages of illuminations and so forth. Hmm. And I've always thought about the Psalms and my dear colleague and friend, Dr. Aaron Davis of Duke, heard about my interest. And I, I told her that, you know, I was just in Israel and I, I just realized I need to spend one painting per month, 48 by 48 inches. So it's very large painting. And do what? Take one month, one psalm a month, and uh, every morning when I come into the studio, I will start with that. <laughs> and and uh, and then she said, "Wow, so that's going to take you like 14, 15 years." And I said, "Oh, 
and then realize <laughs> do the math you know <laughs> there are 150 songs and, <laughs> and and but i thought well okay let, let that be you know i mean mm-hmm. uh, why not so i have been doing that and i'm working on sound 65 right now i'm not doing it in order but Ellen then kindly offered to translate each of the psalms. She's a Hebraic scholar, so mm-hmm. she's translating the psalms in, in terms of poetic agrarian perspective that, that she has. And so one of my fellows, Julia Hendrickson, uh, who's a spoken word artist, she's, she's been reading these, creating audio files, so I can listen to it over and over. Mm-hmm. So I come into the studio and I listen to her read the psalm that Ellen translated, and then I go to work and you know, I'm using only very few materials for this project uh, just to limit myself and find create creativity in those limitations. And so I'm using oyster shell white and black ink, which is called sumi ink, is a calligraphy ink uh, that hmm. you, you have to rub a, a stick against the stone uh, yeah. for about an hour <laughs> to make the wow. ink. And so it's literally slowing down the process. So that has that has been a good great journey i I've, I've never encountered the psalms this way you know i i have read through the psalms but i haven't really made in response and that that makes an enormous difference in how you begin to access some of the some of the fresh ways that psalms can invoke and invite us to this honest pursuit of both our conditions, our broken realities, but but also God's presence in in those places. So, so that's that's one example of some something that that would take <laughs> another thirteen, fourteen years. How neat! One of the things that I have loved in my encounter of your work prior and in our conversation today is how many people call you friend, and how many mm. people you call friend. I think it is. Mm a gift to find Mm. a friend, a few friends, and I think is a real testament to one's generosity and humility to, Mm. to be able to call so many friends and to, to be called friend by so Mm. many. So Mm. I am grateful to have begun getting to know you in a new way through this conversation. And I'm, I'm grateful for the time that we have have had a chance to spend together today. I wonder if, if we might have you read Mm-hmm. The benediction. Yes. And this is the benediction that I wrote at the end of my book, Art and Faith, at the Art of Your Making. And it, it, it actually compresses the whole book. So all you have to do is, you know, read N.T. Wright's forward, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> and, and, you know, I asked him to write a paragraph and he wrote a whole treatise. <laughs> um, and, and, then, and then this benediction, you know, that's really all you need to know. Although <laughs> but, uh, uh, both Kayla and I will say, while bo- reading both of those would would be a gift to you. Don't miss out on the part in between, but, but we're grateful to receive your Thank benediction you. today. Thank you. A benediction for makers. Let us remember that we are sons and daughters of God, the only true artist of the kingdom of abundance. We are God's heirs, princesses, and princes of this infinite land beyond the sea, where heaven will kiss the earth. May we steward well what the Creator King has given us and accept God's invitation to sanctify our imagination and creativity, even as we labor hard on this side of eternity. May our art, what we make, be multiplied into the new creation. May our poems, music, and dance be acceptable offerings to the cosmic wedding to come. May our sandcastles, created in faith, be turned into permanent grand mansions in which we will celebrate the great banquet of the table. Let us come and eat and drink at the supper of the Lamb now so that we might be empowered by this meal to go into the world to create and to make and return to share what we have learned on this journey toward the new. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Marco. My pleasure.
It's great to uh, get to know you and uh, let me know how I can serve you. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that this conversation with Mako was the gift to you that it was to me. I hope too that if you didn't already see yourself as an artist, if you didn't already see your life and your work as a creation of art, as a sharing of beauty and truth, if you didn't already see your prayer as an act of creation and of a pouring out of the abundance of God, of the Holy Spirit in you and around you, I hope you will now. We send out an email care package every Tuesday night. And in those care packages, we share prayers, we share videos and resources and things to take the conversation deeper. We also include some reflection questions, the types of things that you might take into your journal. Just a word about why we prioritize email over social media. We certainly are present and active on social media and love following you and hearing about what is happening in your life and faith, the questions that you are asking, the books that you are reading, the work that is resonating deeply with you. And I take all that into account. And also, I hope that we are doing the kind of work that is worth saving, that is worth revisiting, just like I think Mako's work is. And so because of that, we've invested in sending regular emails above posting regularly on social media, because I don't know about you, but that little save button on Instagram, while wonderful, is not the same as my save folder in my email inbox. And so we hope very much that these email care packages will meet you where you are right now, but that they might also be something that you return to later. I know I have some people who send emails to me that I feel that way about, and I hope to be crafting that kind of email for you. If you'd like to join us and you aren't already on the list, sacredordinarydays.com slash join will take you there. Thank you again to Makoto Fujimura for having this conversation with me. And I hope you will join me next week for a fantastic conversation with Barbara Peacock. You might go ahead and order her book in our shop, Soul Care and African-American Practice. The conversation with Barbara was so much fun and such a gift. So I hope you will join us next week. Thanks for being with us at the table. Sacred Ordinary Days is hosted by Jen Giles Kemper and produced by Kayla Craig. Sacred Ordinary Days is a show helping you reimagine your life with Christ, one that leads you to become more wholly human, more fully faithful. Support these conversations by subscribing and leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. To learn more, visit sacredordinarydays.com. Thanks for listening.